Our scripture reading this morning is from Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call in your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. We are starting today a, a brief new sermon series uh, on the book of Jonah. And so for the next four weeks, we will be focusing on the theme of mission. Mission, God's call and invitation to join him in extending his passionate love, his grace, both to our neighbors next door as well as to neighbors even to the ends of the earth, and a wonderful series of stories, true stories, uh, that teach us a lot. Some of it might be familiar to you, some of it brand new, whatever the case for you. Let's bow our heads and pray as we start in this first installment. God, thank you for giving us your spirit. Uh, our, our ears would be detuned, not able to hear uh, properly, if not for your spirit not able to hear your voice, not able to hear the truth and grace of the gospel. And thank you for giving us help in this time. We pray that in advance. And we pray that you would help us, that you would illuminate your scriptures, shed light on things that we need to see in our hearts, and lift up our hearts, uh, encourage us where we need encouragement, strengthen us where we're weak, humble us where we are proud, soften us where we are hard, and do all of this for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Just yesterday, Paula and I were invited uh, to our neighbor's home. This is a neighbor who throws just about the best dinner parties you could ever possibly imagine. And a joy always to join them. 
as they bring in incredible food, incredible drink and friendship and, and laughter amongst neighbors, some of whom know each other fairly well, others who get to know each other precisely because of the gift of this kind of hospitality. Last night, the key, the centerpiece, however, of this gathering was the gift, because it was a gift, of two wonderful professional musicians at the top of their game, a violinist and a pianist, who came and brought their music into the living room of our neighbor's home. Seated there at the grand piano, armed with this, this weapon of love and joy and grace called a violin making music together at the highest level, and with an intentional sort of mission, you might say, purpose of bringing music out of the concert hall and into people's living rooms. In fact, it's a two-week tour that they're doing around the eastern seaboard to do just that, to bring music to the masses, as it were, into people's homes. And so there we were listening to this heart-melting, soul-stirring music being played song after song with breaks, again, with conversation and food in between, top-class musicians, and the power of the intimacy of hearing this, literally just feet away, not far off on stage, but almost at a distance where you can touch. Indeed, you felt like you could touch the glory of these sounds of this gift. It was a reminder, of course, that some things, some graces, some gifts in this world God has given to us, by its very nature, is meant to be shared and not hoarded. Things like music, things like food, things like laughter. Some things, by their very nature, are meant to be enjoyed in the company of others. It's meant to be celebrated. It's meant to be shared in small spaces, in warm spaces, in people spaces. That's true of the gifts of food and of music and of hospitality. That's also true of the gift of God's grace, the message of his love, meant to be shared and not hoarded, meant to be enjoyed in the company of others. Jonah is a story about God saying to his people, go bring the music of the gospel from sanctuaries to the living rooms of your neighborhoods. Go bring the, the feast of your kingdom, the feast of the kingdom of Christ, to the lives of of the neighbors on your block. In other words, the story of Jonah is about mission. God's invitation to join him on his passionate mission to extend his love, his compassion, his joy to the world. God extends that invitation to Jonah, a prophet so many years ago, God extends that invitation, and Jonah says, no. Jonah says, no. If God had extended that invitation to you, in fact, he has, how would you respond? How would we? As we look at this first chapter in the prophet Jonah, 
I think we encounter at least two important themes. First, this is a story about running away. And then second, it's also a story about God's relentless rescue. Let's explore each of these themes in turn. First, running. Running. We actually don't know all that much about Jonah. But we do know from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, that he lived in the 8th century B.C., around the same time about as the prophet's Amos and Hosea. We know that Jonah was from the village of Gath-Hefer in the northern region of Israel. And we also know that Jonah was a prophet, so an authorized spokesman for God, which is precisely what makes the opening verses of this story so unusual. We're told in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go, go to the great city of Nineveh, that's the capital city of Assyria, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah then is being called to speak truthfully, honestly, to the Assyrians about their sin for the purpose of pleading with them to turn from that sin and to receive the mercy of God. We know from chapter 3 when Jonah reflects upon this moment that he sees this invitation, this commission, as being one that comes from the heart of God, his heart of compassion. And how does Jonah respond? We're told in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. Nineveh was to the east, but Jonah headed west in the very opposite direction of that which God told him to go in, to Joppa. And he set sail for Tarshish right across the Mediterranean Sea, a prophet on the run from God. He found a ship, paid the fare. Why? Verse 3 repeats it again, to flee from the Lord. Prophets aren't supposed to say no to God, let alone run away from God, But that's exactly what Jonah did, and that's exactly what we all do. Running from God. Some of us, like Jonah, have been, if we're honest with ourselves, running away from God. Maybe you're someone that resonates with the English author and atheist Julian Barnes. His words when he once wrote, I don't believe in God but I miss him. Where you find yourself running from God, resisting, embracing God or believing in him, and yet you wonder why you feel so far from home. Maybe you're very outwardly devoted. Maybe you even see yourself as being very Christian in your views about life and the world, about moral issues. Maybe you're very outwardly upright, and yet inwardly you're running away from God. You know, refusing to draw near to God in repentance. Sort of indifferent towards Him when no one else is looking. Maybe you never actually pray just to sit at Jesus' feet because you love Him. 
not because you want something from him. Maybe you've been running because you're mad at God, because of some difficult point of pain or disappointment or loss. Or maybe you're someone who was like the person I was my freshman year of college. Uh, Providence isn't exactly Tarshish, but it was at the opposite corner of the country from where I grew up. Some might have thought I was running away. I know in my heart I was certainly not turned towards God, certainly presuming upon the grace of God, certainly running from the fellowship of the church. Maybe you're running from God in a specific area of your life. Maybe recently, like with Jonah, the word of the Lord came to you, not audibly, but still clearly, possibly something you encountered in God's word, the Bible, and now you know you need to forgive someone, someone you've been bitter towards, but you're running. Or now you know you need to address some unhealthy relationship or some unhealthy habit in your life, but you don't want to. You're running. Maybe your heart has hardened, and you've set sail for Tarshish. You're fleeing on a ship, heading towards a town called Leave Me Alone. Dear friends, let's think about it. Let's be real. Are you running from God? Even if not totally, even partly, are you running from God? Will you come home to God? But there's a second way we might also be running, even more literally like Jonah ran, and that is running from God's call to mission. God, I'm here for the the personal uplift and for the community, but don't you ask me to love my neighbor. That's not why I'm here. See, Jonah was a very religious person, right? A prophet. But he was also someone who didn't want to serve people who were religiously and racially different from him. He was also someone who cared more about the security of himself and of his people. These are some of the reasons why, as we'll explore later, he resisted this call. It's possible that one of the reasons why Jonah ran was because he primarily saw himself as a prophet to God's people. Look, God, I only do in-house business. Don't send me out there. I love the people right here. Don't tell me to love the people across the street. Those people. Those people over there. It's a mindset and a mentality that people in the church often can adopt to our spiritual detriment, having a distorted view of the heart of God, and to the detriment of our neighbors, not serving and loving them as we're called to do. So often, Christians in the church can adopt a mentality, a mindset, that the church is sort of a a fortress or a refuge, a a place where you hide out, a, a place where you distance yourself from your neighbors, a place that protects you from the threats out there and the people over there. But there's nothing further from the way in which the Bible talks about this calling to mission. Neighbor, city, neighborhoods are not just 
a threat from which we need to retreat and protect ourselves. And by the way, of course, this identity and mindset produces inevitably contempt towards those around us, towards those who believe differently or who behave differently. You almost sense a little bit of this in Jonah. Not to get too far ahead of the story here, but when they're in the boat and things are rocking, the pagan sailors that believe differently from Jonah on this ship almost seem to be doing better than Jonah. They're responsible. They're engaged. So often our neighbors have loved and served better than the church. Here we have Jonah in all his passivity hanging out and sort of distancing himself, almost looking down on the other other sailors in the boat. The fortress mentality always breeds contempt for our neighbors. But the Bible tells us something different about what the church was meant to be, and that is a compassionate outcome host of God's kingdom in the wounded world. An outpost of God's grace, a place of healing where neighbors are drawn in, loved in. Listen, friends, the church is not meant to be a refuge from the world. The church is meant to be a missionary community of love in the city. Jonah is totally removed from the fears and suffering of his his neighbors, totally checked out, right? When the storm is rocking, he's sort of asleep and not really engaged, not part of the all hands on deck, what are we going to do? How do we solve this problem? And too often we find the same to be true of Christian neighbors in our city not actually invested in the common good, not actually linking up in arms, trying to love and serve well, even though we're in the same boat, in the same neighborhood, or on the same block. Here is a reminder that we're called to love and to bless and serve the common good. Nineveh, Jonah was well aware, was actually a struggling city. Well, not struggling economically. They were doing quite well. It was the capital city of Assyria, as I mentioned earlier. But it had a reputation. Not only was it a Gentile city, it was famous for its cruelty, violence, and exploitation. In fact, we have old artifacts where King Shalmaneser III, one of the kings that were what was in power during the time of Jonah, actually displayed uh, writings and pictorials of conquests of enemy nations, whose, uh, where those nations and the people of those conquered uh, nations were systematically tortured, dismembered, decapitated, and just blown to smithereens. This was a people that enjoyed the violence, enjoyed the terror. And this was the people that God called Jonah to love. Jonah says, no, no way. His resistance is in part for his own security, for his own safety, for the security and safety of Israel, his own nation. 
If we're friendly to them, won't they just encroach on our territory? His resistance was racial. Of course it was. Ethnic. Seeing the differences between him and the Ninevites, a boundary and a bridge that he did not want to cross. Did you notice Jonah would rather die than follow God, die than go on mission with God? That is, by definition in the Bible, what idolatry is all about. A theme that Jonah prays about in chapter 2, which we'll hear about next week when he begins to realize what's been going on in his heart. The point here is simply this. The reasons for which we resist the mission of God, the reasons for which we say no when God calls us to lay down our lives for our neighbors, runs really deep and really strong in our hearts, doesn't it? It's a spiritual thing. It's not just a scheduling thing. It's not just a time thing. It's not just a bandwidth thing. It's a spiritual thing in the heart. Do you hear the call of God? The call to befriend people who are different from you culturally or religiously rather than give in to the pressure simply to be comfortable. Do you hear the call of God to to go be a servant, putting the needs and the interests of your neighbors before your own rather than give in to the pressure or the go with the flow of just being a consumer in the city? Our hearts are inclined to say no. Go to church, I can do that. Go to the city, nah. Friends like Jonah, are you running from God's call to participate in his mission? Will you hear God's call to serve this great city? Not Nineveh, but Washington, D.C. And in particular, our neighbors in the neighborhoods of Petworth and Columbia Heights and Mount Pleasant and Adams Morgan Right? These places that we feel called to as a church. Will you allow the love of Christ that you have drank deeply from to propel you into living a life of service, being devoted to the well-being of our neighbors, not only spiritually but also physically and emotionally and economically, loving them and serving them with the words and deeds of the gospel? I do want to invite you to consider as a, let's call it a practical application of this, reorienting ourselves towards our neighbors, to consider maybe one meal, one meal in the next couple weeks, maybe even this week that you can set aside to share with a coworker or with a neighbor on your block or one that lives in your building uh, to exchange life with, someone that believes differently than you might as a follower of Christ, someone that might represent some generally insurmountable bridge or divide politically or racially, culturally, economically, or otherwise. One meal that you might set aside or one opportunity of some other variety, if a meal isn't the right approach, to extending hospitality, watching a game together, sitting in a park, spending time together, What's one occasion that you can pursue? One opportunity over the next couple of weeks. What's fascinating about this book in in Jonah is that it's a story about God's mission, his mission of compassion for the people of Nineveh. But notice that the story starts here in chapter 1 with a runaway prophet who's on an anti-mission. 
God isn't even getting to Nineveh yet with his prophet. Now he's chasing after Jonah. The whole story takes a long detour into the heart of Jonah, and this is how it works with us as well. God needs to rescue Jonah before he can use Jonah. Our great city tends to attract so many people who want to change the world. Friends, do you understand, even as we talk about the mission of God, that God's first priority is usually to change you? God's mission of compassion to the great city of D.C. starts with you. Him chasing after you, him grabbing a hold of you in his love, you. Which brings us to the second theme. Jonah chapter 1 is a story about running away. It's also a story about God's relentless rescue. And this is where it's important for us to note that where are you going to find the power to actually have that heart change where mission becomes attractive to you again? Where sacrifice and laying down your life is something that you actually desire to do. It's a joy for you to seek out your neighbors, to love, to care. It's not just by forcing yourself to do it or telling yourself or guilting yourself. It's by having a transformed heart, one that has encountered the rescuing love of God. In other words, you will never be on board with God's rescue mission as one of his kingdom agents until you yourself see yourself as one who has been rescued by the rescuing love of God. This is what we find with Jonah. Jonah gets on the boat, and God chases after him. He won't let him go. You can't outrun God, friends. You cannot outpace his pursuing love for you. Even in our sinning, even in our rebelling, even in all our running. Friends, God never gives up on you. I'm embarrassed, maybe you are too, in how many times or how quickly I give up on people all the time, but praise God, he's not like me, not like you. He doesn't give up on pursuing people even when they're running the other way. There's a line from novelist Rene Denfeld that I found helpful resonating with this theme. No matter how far you have run, no matter how long you have been lost, it is never too late to be found. Today is a good day, friends, for you to let yourself be found by God, by his grace. But how does God in his love and mercy come and find you? You, his runaway children. Do you know, notice how God chases after Jonah? Through a storm. Verse 4, we're told, then the Lord sent he sent a great storm, a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Listen, God will do whatever it takes to get a hold of one, run, one of his run, uh, runaways. Let me try saying that again. God will do whatever it takes to get a hold of one of his runaways. But do you understand what this passage is telling us is that God loves you so much that sometimes he sends storms into your life in order to bring you home. 
Is there a, a storm, a proverbial storm in your life right now? Some hardship, some chaos. The winds are blowing, the waves are crashing, the warning lights are, are flashing. Is it possible? Is it possible that that storm is part of God's pursuit of your runaway heart? There's that line in the Oscar-winning movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, where one of the characters shares with Evelyn, who, one of the protagonists, living a hard life full of disappointment, and these words were spoken to her later on in the movie. Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. Do, do you know that, that the, dis, the disappointments, the hardships, the pain, the chaos, oftentimes it is leading you up to a, a juncture, a, a moment that you must not turn away from, that you must pay attention to, because that's right where God is, ready to show you, unveil to you some new dimension of his love, some new possibility of what he's going to do in, his, in your life. Will you pay attention to those moments? And did you notice this scene in verses 5 and 6? I love it. The storm is bad. The, the ship is busting up. Everyone is freaking out. Everyone, that is, except for Jonah, right? He's below deck, taking a nap. And this is a vivid portrait of a counterfeit clear conscience, a false sense of peace. Because some of us are running, most of us don't know we're running, or some of us don't care that we are. Just because you're at peace doesn't mean you ought to be. Just because you're at Quiet doesn't mean that there isn't a storm, a spiritual, moral, soul storm raging around you. Just because you're not at all troubled doesn't mean you're not in trouble. And sometimes God needs to wake us up. And sometimes the only way he can do that, the only way to get our attention, is through a storm. So again, that disappointment, that point of pain, that hardship in your life, you know, that one that you've been dying to get rid of, and maybe even you've been praying that God would get rid of, do you know that that actually might be a tangible sign of God's pursuing love for you? That might actually be evidence of his commitment to bring you home and to never let you go because that's how tenacious his love always is. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. Verse 11 tells us the sailors are terrified. They know they're going to die soon. They know that Jonah's responsible for, for this storm because he told them. So Jonah instructs them to throw him into the sea and the storm will stop. At first they refused, but then they were left with no other hope, no other option, we're told in verse 15. And so they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And that was good news for the sailors, of course, calm sea, but it wasn't good news for Jonah, who was now sinking in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's sure to drown. From the perspective of the Bible in this moment, it is in fact a death that the prophet running away from God, the prophet Jonah actually deserved. It's a destiny 
that all rebels and runaway sinners like us, in fact, do deserve. But here's where God's mercy surprises again and again. Suddenly, God scoops Jonah up, rescues Jonah from this watery grave. God provides him a lifeboat. A lifeboat. Okay, a most awkward kind of rescue. A foolish kind of rescue. A lifeboat in the form of a fish. I'm told in verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God saved Jonah's life. So great is his love. But it was uncomfortable. I mean, realistically, listen, Sitting in a fish for three days really stinks, literally. And more than the stench, it was uncomfortable all around. In fact, it's clear that Jonah almost dies even in this. Rescue, even when delivered in the hand of a compassionate God, rescue is not always comfortable. Sometimes it takes thorns and a cross. God might save your life, but he might not save your pride in the meanwhile. God's relentless love isn't always easy on you, but neither is life-saving surgery. After all, what Jonah needed most wasn't physical transport wasn't a literal lifeboat. He needed a rescue from his own fleeing heart. And God was going to do anything that it took, even by uncomfortable means, to get his man. But not only was this lifeboat uncomfortable, this fish, it was also awkward and foolish. I mean, seriously, seriously, can you at least just send a a boat? I mean, or... uh, piece of driftwood or a floating palm tree. I don't know what's out there. Any pot, a fish. And it's funny, the way that we read the story, it's so common. It's almost been turned into sort of religious fantasy. We sort of take for granted, oh yeah, well that's pretty cool, there's a fish. Listen, even back then, this was a weird story. There's nothing normal about this to nobody getting swallowed up by a fish. There's a foolishness to this. God rescued Jonah in a completely undignifying way through the silliest of means, foolishness that you might even question, God, couldn't there have been another way? Behold God's fishy, foolish love. And don't you know, God has always done his rescues by foolish means. Not slick and sophisticated means, foolish means, like a fish, like a Roman cross. God uses fish bellies and foolishness to rescue us, and this points us to the greater rescue, the greatest rescue of all. Do you know that over a thousand years later, Jesus actually looked upon this passage And he spoke about it. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 12. And there Jesus said of himself, Now something 
greater than Jonah is here, a, a better Jonah. So Jesus himself is identify him, identifying himself with Jonah. There's something about this story he's saying that, that's telling you all about me. And then he says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What do we find in this story? What kind of rescue is this pointing to? A kind of rescue and a kind of life that's achieved through a dying. See, our ultimate rescue is found in the storm that was sent upon Jesus for you. See, the sailors were afraid of, of killing one that they thought of as an innocent man, even though Jonah was hardly that. Jesus was innocent, sinless, but he was thrown overboard, so to speak, for our sins. Just like Jonah was sort of a, a substitute sent overboard in order to save those on board, Jesus was a substitute for our sins. He was plunged into the raging ocean of, of God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus was, was pummeled by wave upon wave of, of suffering as, as hell itself was poured onto his soul. And he sunk at last into a watery grave, death itself. And, and for three days, Jesus remained in the darkness of death, not in the belly of a fish, but in the bowels of a tomb. And the raging sea of God's just judgment finally grew calm, satisfied, because God's rescue mission for sinners was finally accomplished on the cross. This is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? God's rescue mission for you and for me. So, dear friends, the ultimate way that we're rescued from our running from God is through the greater Jonah, Jesus. He is how God brings us home. And it's when we see him and receive his compassion, his rescuing fishy love, and when our hearts are stirred by him, then little by little, you start to detect in your hearts, huh, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll love my neighbor like Jesus has loved me. Uh, maybe I actually have power that comes from joy in having been saved uh, to, to actually give up a little bit more of my time or my possessions or of my heart or of my listening ears to spend time with a a neighbor that's just struggling right now. God's rescuing love changes our hearts and makes us into agents of his mission of rescue. You'll have to come back next week to see what happens next in Jonah's story, right? How will Jonah now respond to God's stormy, fishy rescue? How will you respond? I won't spoil it now, but I'll tell you this much about Jonah's response. He was driven by his desperation. He was captivated, captivated by the relentless, stormy 
love of God. How about you? Will you receive or re-receive God's love for runaways like us today? And will you dare to love as you've been loved on mission? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving us a glimpse of your love. Change our hearts by your spirit. And teach us to love, even at cost to ourselves. Make us more like you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.